Okay, welcome back here on Provincial Budget Day on a week that feels like the unofficial kickoff or start of the provincial election campaign. We're joined by political insiders John Capobianco, Tom Parkin this afternoon. And uh, John, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, Due to the pandemic, uh, we understand we're going to now have 10 days of advanced voting in this provincial election, which is double the previous number, plus those advanced polls. They're going to move around, uh, try to be a little more accessible to people. Mail-in ballots, they'll be available until the end of next month, until uh, May 27th, you've got to request one. How might all of this, John, do you think, influence the vote? Well, hopefully it will influence the vote. I've always been, you know, obviously a believer that the more people that can vote, the better it is just from a democracy perspective. And I I would imagine that the federal election campaign that we went through um, uh, last year you know, during the pandemic, you know, have forced a lot of the elections officials, Elections Canada, of course, at the time, but also other elections uh, authorities across the province, across the country, to really look at new ways or creative ways of trying to get their vote out. Because you couldn't go traditionally to a polling station, usually at a school or a church, um, given the restrictions that were that we were facing at the time. And I think that, you know, even though restrictions are lessened uh, here, who knows what will happen in, in six, seven, eight weeks from now. But I would imagine that schools and churches will be available for, for polling stations for people who traditionally want to go to a polling station and drop their ballot in, which most Canadians, most voters want to, want to continue to do. But opening up and having more accessibility and, and moving them around, I think is good news. And I think a lot more people will be you know, will be more apt to want to vote if it's if it's easier for them, you know, because I remember traditionally in the past, advanced polls would only be three or four days through the writ period. Uh, and then once you're done, then you're either if you couldn't vote or if something came up during election day, you were you were pretty much pretty much out of luck voting. So this allows people to really have that opportunity to uh, to vote if if they have other commitments or, or travel plans that they have booked through uh, through the um, through the writ period. Sure. More access to voting, a good thing for a democracy. Again, we've got double the amount of uh, advanced voting days, mail-in ballots extended to the end of May, pretty much May 27th. But to Tom, again, do you think this is going to influence uh, the outcome, uh, the vote in any way? Does it favor any particular party? It, it's hard to say whether it will uh, favor another party or which other party might get favored, but there is an interesting way in which uh, advance, more advanced voting could affect the outcome. And that's if there's a change in the course of the election uh, during, the, uh, during the advanced voting or late in advanced voting when many people have already voted and then something happens, a uh, policy announcement, a scandal, a uh, goof, you know, uh, any one of these things can happen late in the, in the campaign. Um, and then people might say, gosh, I already put my ballot in the box and I, maybe I'd like to change my mind. Um, so there's that interesting dynamic, which the parties have to think about in terms of uh, their policy announcements and in terms of their opposition research. When do they start uh, rolling out the hits, uh, which they inevitably will do, um, and isn't all together. It's a little bit nasty, but it's part of the process. Uh, you know, if a candidate has said something dumb or done something really dumb, um, that's usually researched by the other parties and it comes out in the course of the campaign. If it comes out on um, you know, two, two days before the election uh, and you found out that your local candidate was, um, you know, did something really terrible, um, you know, you might want your ballot back to, to recast it. So that, it affects the way the parties are going to play it. And, and we'll, we'll just see. It, what it means is that the parties will put uh, more of their ammo up front, uh, I think, to make sure that uh, the, the, the advanced ballot voter knows as much as possible. 
All right. We have seen, uh, John, some uh, commercials already uh, rolling out uh, from the parties. Uh, what, if anything, is that telling us uh, about the leaders and their strategy and uh, what they're uh, keying on? Is there any doubt that this provincial election, upcoming election, is pretty much uh, all about affordability and the cost of living? It will be, I think, for sure. And, and Tom's right about, about the, sort of the, the, the way that the, the elections and campaign strategists are, are dealing with these things because of advanced polls. Because, you know, before it was always, as we was talking about, confined to a couple of days. Now the fact that it's, it's wider and people can actually start voting literally when the votes dropped, they can go to a returning station and vote. So I think, you know, what we'll find, I think, too, Jeff, is, is those who are, have voted conservative or liberal NDP all of their lives, and, and no matter what happens during the, the, the campaign, will probably be the ones that go to vote early because they, they won't be swayed by something. But there's others, a, a big swath of voters that are in that category of being, you know, either uh, switch voters or swing voters. They'll hang on for a bit because they'll want to see what, what evolves out of the campaign. But but you're right, a lot of the nasty things will likely be done at the very beginning because they want to capture those who, who want to go to uh, vote early because, you know, in the past you would wait for the for the nasty stuff to happen near the last week of the campaign going into election election day to kind of sway momentum. But that's all changed. So I do think it, it's going to be a way of, of looking at how, how things done and how things are being done. And, of course, you've seen, as you've mentioned, a lot of the ads being done pre-rent, sort of this period of time. Uh, where camp parties are starting to jostle for their own messaging to try to portray their opponents a certain way and also to build a narrative for themselves going into election campaign so people can start focusing. And I think those ads are going to start getting a bit more robust and a bit more out there once the, uh, once the election campaign is officially starting. Okay, and of course the campaign really is only a four weeks. It's a month, uh, Tom, so this is a sprint. It's not a marathon. <laughs> you know, it is a sprint. And on the election ads, I think they do tell a story. Uh, uh, Stephen Del Duca uh, has a, an ad out. I think it, it premiered today. If not today, it was yesterday. Uh, in which he's really um, he's trying to uh, introduce himself. Uh, one of the great weaknesses I think that the Liberals have is that most people don't know, or a lot of people don't know who Mr. Del Duca is. He doesn't have a seat uh, in the legislature, so that's you know kept his profile down. Um, so he's trying to just tell his own personal story uh, and get introduced to voters. Um, Andrew Horvath, more well-known. I saw her ads that came out. She had two ads uh, that came out this week. Um, interesting because I thought that it was very clear that she was going at the working-class suburban voter, uh, just from the, the images and the people that were selected to be. And she's personally telling her story about uh, how her father was a factory worker and her mom was a school cleaner. Uh, and then Mr. Ford, his emphasis is, you know, kind of, Keep trying to keep the energy up, and he's talking about this kind of get it done idea that uh, that he's put out there. Um, n- not substantive on policy, but it's trying to tell a story. I think that Mr. Ford wants to tell that you know good times are right around the corner. Just just hang on with me, and and we'll get there. So I think you know they're all playing uh, the the roles that they need to play right now, uh, and people will start listening more and more. Mm-hmm. And, We'll see what uh, if, if Mr. Dilduk can raise his profile. We'll see whether Ms. Horvath can can win uh, suburban working class constituencies, and we'll see with whether Mr. Ford is believed about this idea that he's you know good times are around the corner and just stick with me. All right, only got a couple of minutes left here, but I want to switch to federal politics with the two of you quickly and ask you about this new Nanos poll out today that says the Conservatives, the federal Conservatives, have opened up a statistically significant lead 
over the governing liberals. As a matter of fact, they're up to 35.6% in support. They are uh, above the liberals' 30% support. Uh, John, first to you on this. Surprising the federal conservatives are uh, leading in the polling uh, right now when they don't even have a leader. I know, right? And, I, and Jeff, you and I have talked about this before, right? I said that polls are a snapshot in time, but I've always said that when polls are usually negative towards my party, but in this case, maybe they are negative of something that's, that's, that's prescient. Uh, but no, look, you know, I do, I, polls are a snapshot in time, and I think, but it's also a reflective, and I think people, Canadians, have, have maybe had a chance to really ponder this Liberal NDP deal that has happened, and, and you know, like a lot of Canadians voted the Liberals to be in a minority situation, and for them to go behind their backs and, and right. Right. to deal with the federal NDPs, I think is a problem. And maybe that's causing the, uh, the, the, the positive upswing in the Conservatives. Okay, Tom, 30 seconds to you on this. Should the Conservatives maybe even forgo the leadership race? Uh, go later list. Maybe it's working for them. <laughs> um, people might like that. None of the above you can actually vote for. <laughs> um, I, I'd say on this uh, particular Nanos poll, it is a little bit of an outlier. So, uh, you know, like any, as John says, it is a snapshot in time, but, you know, they're not 100% accurate. There's a margin of error. Uh, and maybe this is on the upper side of the margin of error because it does, it is, as I say, a bit of an outlier. And what we have to do is what we should always be doing with polling is not look at one, but look at the trend. Right. So, um, that's what we need to continue to look at. And the next one, the next one after that, if it confirms it, well, then things are different. If it was just an outlier, well... Oh, things are the same. All right. Uh, John Capabianco, Tom Parkin, much appreciated as always. We will talk again. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. All right. Be well. Have a great rest of the afternoon. Thank you for your time. As always, that does it for ours here on this Thursday. I'm Jeff MacArthur. Have a great rest of the day. Meet you right back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.